y'all, this is Cassie, the host of Everybody. And ever since I can remember, I've been obsessed with how the human body works and how no matter what stage in life you're at, you can make amazing changes. Together, we're going to deep dive into topics like disease, nutrition, mental health, and more, all with a focus on how we can take steps toward living healthier, happier lives. Hello and what's up everybody? Welcome to episode three on our series about pain. And today I am so, so excited to have a guest on our show. I have with us Dr. Louis Savan, a retired assistant professor from the Medical College of Wisconsin, Department of Psychiatry, and co-author of the textbook of biological feedback. And I do also have the pleasure of visiting with Dr. Lewis three times a week as he is one of my clients at the gym. So Dr. Lewis and I have been working and training together for uh, well over a year now, I think. So I am really excited to finally be able to use his expertise and knowledge and share it with all of you. Okay, Dr. Lewis, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. Let's get right into it. So first, um, tell me a little bit about your experience with patients who have chronic pain. Well, chronic pain, as you probably would uh, would believe, is a not uncommon symptom in those who seek out assistance or help. In fact, pain is uh, the leading cause of why people visit uh, physicians, for example. And I've treated a number of people with pain over the years. The the thing about this that uh, has been encouraging is that with the research and the findings that have been brought to light over the decades, um, the ability to treat pain successfully has increased uh, in great magnitude. And uh, so it's a lot easier to deal with, though still a very challenging uh, treatment experience. So next, um, tell me a little bit about how pain and traumatic experiences are related from what you've seen or worked with throughout the years? Well, I find that um, one model that helps me understand it, uh, the topic better is to imagine a triangle. And at one point is trauma, uh, at another point is stress, and at a third point is pain. And wherever you start or wherever you enter this triangle from trauma or stress or pain, most of the time the other two categories will be involved. So I think the coincidence and concordance of these uh, symptoms and events is, is part of the reason that treating any one of them requires a lot of thought and a lot of coordination. And how does being diagnosed with anxiety or depression or maybe another diagnosis contribute to the human pain experience? Well, we're always hopeful that a diagnosis does not make people have more pain, which is what your question said. But Yes. <laughs> but it's not uncommon to find anxiety and depression in the human pain experience. I think sometimes it's useful to differentiate between anxiety, for example, and fear uh, of an object or a situation. You might imagine yourself uh, in a zoo and suddenly uh, being placed into a cage where there's a tiger. The if feelings that you experience at that time are most likely going to be those of fear. Whereas if you are outside the cage walking by and have the sudden thought or imagining that um, the cage might be open and you might face a tiger, 
that is more likely to cause anxiety. So sometimes we think that uh, fear is uh, something that's rooted in a real-life experience, whereas anxiety is something that is often thought of or created uh, internally. Trauma will usually uh, produce feelings of anxiety, but you can uh, fear uh, for something that's uh, traumatic. For example, uh, imagine a European village, let's say, and uh, not large, not small, but there's a public square, people, the houses around, everything, out of some storybook or travelogue. And all of a sudden, in the distance, there's this faint sound of a boom, and then suddenly an explosion in the middle of town square. Some people perhaps are killed, several are injured, the houses are, are damaged, and so on. Your body swings into mind to uh, try and differentiate and understand what has happened, and uh, you're fairly able then to soon put together that there's been a uh, piece of artillery shell that's sent an explosion into your village and uh, with that effect. Now if, for example, you uh, are one of the ones lucky enough to survive, you help the others, you understand what came from, there are no more uh, experiences like that happening, the, uh, you're able to uh, take care of uh, the people who have passed on as well as those who are injured, correcting and uh, uh, helping them heal, and then uh, fixing up the uh, town so that it resembles somewhat what it was before. That one incident is most likely not going to affect your life either in terms of uh, uh, anxiety or stress. However, where we run into difficulty, particularly with, with anxiety and trauma, is that where the stimulus is might be repeated. Let's say instead of one large artillery shell that came one time, let's say a number of smaller ones rained down, and that this went on for an indeterminate period of time, and they happened at all hours of the night and day, and you couldn't predict when. You're going to have a very different response to that. And uh, I think that's where you might see a significant increase in the anxiety because of the anticipation of what might happen. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. How can seeing a therapist help someone who may be experiencing chronic pain issues? Well, there's, there's a variety of ways. Um, having someone who is uh, there to treat you, you hope, in a, and view you, you hope, in a neutral fashion. It's neither a, a particularly uh, devoted cheerleader nor a critic, but someone who's uh, ready to listen and understand makes you feel a lot less alone. And what has been shown uh, over millions of years of our existence and evolution is that if we can feel understood and we can feel that someone shares or at least understands our experiences, uh, it provides for some reason a great deal of, of comfort. And this is, um, this is one part of the therapeutic experience. The other is that uh, we trust that the therapist has some tools to bring to the uh, problem that you might present with and recommendations and suggestions that might be useful in your particular case, both general and specific. And I think it's that combination of probably that goes the longest way uh, toward helping someone who is supportive and also who is willing to go the distance with you. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. So in the physical therapy world, when we start seeing patients that come with a chronic pain diagnosis, it's very often that we will 
um, recommend or refer these patients out um, to some kind of psychology or psychiatry if they haven't been there already. And that's kind of the model that we've always followed is, you know, not just the body, but the mind as well that needs to do some healing. So, Yes, I, I, I agree with that uh, 100%. The What's been found is that the uh, the team concept, as it's uh, applied particularly to more challenging situations, uh, can be very much more helpful than just the individual. So if you have, uh, let's say, a physician of some stripe employed, you have a psychologist, you have a physical therapist, you have an occupational therapist, you have someone who's uh, experienced in pain issues and support, and on and on and on, and they work as a coordinated team, you are often going to get a lot quicker results uh, and a lot more lasting results. Okay, so something that a lot of patients ask me questions about is their medications. So a lot of people get put on medications by either their primary care doctor, maybe psychiatry, maybe something else, and they often don't really know why they're put on it. You know, um, someone might say to me, oh, you know, my doctor put me on an antidepressant. I told them I have pain. Why didn't they give me a pain medication? Can you, what are your thoughts on that? Can you explain a little bit deeper into um, medications that someone may have been placed on or been recommended to them and what the reasoning is behind them? Certainly. Acute pain here is, it's important to differentiate uh, from chronic pain. If we're talking about acute pain, particularly like from, say, a dental procedure, a, a complicated birthing situation, uh, a surgery of some kind, an automobile accident, anything you, you care to mention, those kinds of acute pains respond best to uh, are really more uh, potent analgesics. And here you're sometimes talking about uh, the opioids and the opiates. For chronic situations or long-standing situations, however, these don't work so well. What's been found over time is that, particularly for chronic uh, pain issues, that the longer the pain is around, the more likely it is that affects such as depression, anxiety, fear, anger, rage, a uh, multitude of these are going to be coincident with this. And what the antidepressant does is it seems to have two functions that we know of. One is, of course, its name. It does seem to help depression. Many of the antidepressants block neurotransmitters which either cause pain or they block the uptake, the reuptake of these uh, neurotransmitters uh, so that there's a greater concentration of the round to deal with pain. That's certainly a very common strategy in many of the newer medications. But for reasons which are unclear, well, where I'm going then with that is that because of whatever the depression might stem from having chronic pain uh, can be treated just from the antidepressant factor. However, antidepressants also seem to have an effect in pain, which is less well understood, but does seem to be actual, particularly in combination with other classes of antidepressants, uh, specifically anticonvulsants, such as uh, gabapentin, which is also known as Neurontin, or uh, well, some of the pregabalin medications, one of which is Lyrica. So the combination of medications will usually enhance the response of the treatment for the patient. And again, when taken in context of a team issue of treaters who are each addressing a certain portion of the pie or adding a certain puzzle piece, often leads to the best effect. And if someone is placed on 
say, two of these medications, say an antidepressant and maybe gabapentin or something like that, what is the realistic expectation for being on those medications? Is that something someone should expect to be on forever? Is that something that they could look forward to decreasing or eliminating at some point? Yes, of course, it all depends on how, first of all, is it effective? It may be necessary to try more than one antidepressant over a period of time or one anticonvulsant over a period of time or some combination, perhaps other medications might be added. Uh, everybody is different. Everybody does better with a different uh, recipe than the person next to them. So sometimes it's a matter of trial and error, frankly. Most people, when they come to see me in the office, uh, don't bring instructions. So we have to sort of uh, find out what works better. But as long as the symptoms are in play, then it's you and, and the medications are not causing side effects which prohibit their use, uh, it's advisable to use them in some combination very often uh, because starting out at too heavy a dose may uh, bring about side effects. You will, for both medications, you will start at a lower dose, build up over a period of, say, weeks to a month or two, uh, find a therapeutic dose that works for you, maintain that for a period of time, sometimes three to six months, and then after the person has been on it for perhaps nine months to a year, start a uh, gradual uh, titration down and off and see how they do. Sometimes that works like a charm. Other times you may find as you begin to decrease the medication, the symptoms return, in which case the dose is raised once more. So there will be a trial often, a trial of periods of time when you are withdrawn from medication. If you finally, and when hopefully you finally get to that point where your symptoms do not return, uh, then, then you're done and you don't need the medication anymore. Premature withdrawal from the medication, uh, particularly if it's initiated individually, uh, is not always useful and again may uh, make symptoms return. Sometimes, particularly if you've been off the medication for a while and you try it up again, you sometimes find you need stronger amounts than you did initially. So it's usually best to do these things in consultation. And do you feel like there is um, some kind of psychological connection between, say, when someone is trying to reduce the medication that they're taking and kind of the whole placebo effect, right? Like, how do you, as a clinician, look at, you know, how much, if someone's symptoms are returning, are they returning because of the medication? Are they returning just because someone might think, like, I'm not taking my medication, so I already know I'm going to feel bad without giving it a chance. What do you, what do, you do in a situation like that? Sure. Most typically, the placebo effect you're going to find, that is when, as long as you do something, a person is going to uh, find some relief. Uh, usually, that it tends to happen more uh, in the early days of treatment. That tends to be more where you see this. Because uh, typically, if particularly especially if you follow this team approach we've been discussing, the person has been able to find help and assistance with managing their symptoms, their disease, their illness, their lives, all kinds of things in a, in a more efficient and better fashion. And so a lot of the work that the patient has invested in their treatment begins to pay off and you find that really the placebo effect uh, diminishes. So in cases like that, again as long as we're not talking about side effects from the medication, in cases like that when you withdraw the medication perhaps too quickly and the symptoms return, it's less likely you're going to get 
benefit from the placebo because so much work has been done that that, that sense of surprise and that sense of newness that the placebo sometimes bring is 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 past its window of effectiveness. All right, awesome. Um, what else do you have to add? Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you feel like is worth touching on for someone who may be experiencing chronic pain, some common questions you may have run into? Sure. I would add that the more a person can sort of understand their condition, their situation, their illness, whatever, however you'd like to frame it, mm-hmm. I think the more benefit derives. Anxiety, particularly pain, pain and anxiety and affects and issues that are unpleasant that come with us, uh, seem, if you kind of boil them down, to stem from issues involving, for example, two main categories of concerns. One is boundary integrity, particularly if it's a physical stress or pain or the the pain that's come from a physical situation. People tend to react most strongly when that certain boundary, their outline of themselves in life, is penetrated or violated. One can work and extend themselves into the environment and so forth through volition, and that's fine and dandy. But when you experience a penetration of the boundary, people tend to have a lot more difficulty with that. The other is, and they go hand in hand, I think, is the issue of control. If people have a sense that they're that they have lost control or are losing control based on the pain or the reaction to it or the, the the stress or the trauma that accompanies that will increase anxiety just in itself the the issue is that uh, if i lose control my environment becomes too diffuse there's a loss of coherence and myself is falls into dissolution with the environment there's no way to mark myself off as different from the environment and therefore I essentially die in that way. So boundaries and the control that comes with them are often placed, I think, by evolution to maintain the sense of homeostasis. The idea that the organism is self-perpetuating, self-healing, going through time in a sort of quivering blob in a good way, and that as long <laughs> as that's maintained, uh, life has a chance of, uh, of doing well. Yeah, and something that I covered in the last episode was the idea of just pain neuroscience and how it really kind of talks about what you were just mentioning is the more that people know about the experience that they're going through, the more likely they are to have a positive pain experience, if you could call a pain experience that. So a lot of the latest research that's been done is saying that even just educating a person about why they have pain, where it's come from, how pain even works in the way of like your brain is really the one making the decision whether or not something is painful can really help a person to have a better experience with their pain. Is that something that you've noticed as well. Oh yes, absolutely. And I think it harks back to the idea the more you understand, the more your sense of control is is reinforced. And then if you have more control over yourself or what's happening to you, then you're not subject to the whims and vagaries of whatever it is that's uh, whipping you around. And uh, the, the less your anxiety tends to be, the less your pain experience tends to register. Yes, I would agree. All right. Anything else you want to share? Well, one thing is you had uh, asked at one point about things that might be 
helpful to people. And I think there are several general things that, that really will kind of help you get along. As John Donne said back in the century, uh, no man is an island. So people who can or to whom this makes sense, who can develop some sort of life philosophy or belief system, this will be useful in combating the, these kinds of stressors. Often a sharing partner or partners, uh, whatever the setting might be and whoever they might be, someone to share something with, someone to understand when you're having trouble is useful. I think the capacity or the degree of comfort in calling out for assistance or help is going to be useful to you. And also, I think, stepping back and understanding that when it's possible, when you can, attempting to find a balance in your situation, both in the short term and the long term, will be a, a great aid to you in navigating, particularly when uh, times get tough and the wolves are at the door. Sure. Um, yeah, and this is something actually that we touch on when we're educating our patients in physical therapy as well, because we often are kind of a point of contact, right, for this person to be able to express how they're feeling. You know, I think something very common with people that do experience chronic pain is they often feel like they're not believed and or you know, someone that maybe doesn't ex understand the chronic pain experience may just out of misunderstanding think that their pain isn't real or their pain is made up or, you know, something like that. Maybe they're just being dramatic, you know, something. So I definitely agree with having someone you can share with. The one thing, and I would like your opinion on this, that we kind of chime into is uh, sharing your pain experience with someone who also has a pain experience versus sharing it with someone who does not. So you know, when sharing is productive versus non-productive, right? So think about like, a, I don't know, like a Facebook group for people with chronic pain and they're all posting in there about how horrible they feel and yeah, that makes me feel bad too. And that kind of sharing would just reinforce kind of negative behaviors correct so how would you say if you're like sharing that pain experience or you're the person being shared with how to navigate a conversation like that yeah there is benefit in addressing uh something that seems overwhelming to you with other people who have had a similar experience but it's not exclusory for example if you had occasion to kill someone in an automobile accident trying to find a therapist who'd also killed someone in an automobile accident because you feel that only someone who has experienced what you have experienced uh, will completely understand you. It's really, is is fallacious. It, it, that's not how it works. Now, if you step back a moment, you can say, look, this person who appears to be knowledgeable and says they want to help me and so forth may not have had the exact pain that I've experienced, may not have that, but they have experienced pain in their lives. There's no one alive who has not experienced pain in their lives. And so they can have some understanding. The main thing will be, the sense of empathy that the uh, treating person will project to you and the sense of confidence that you can come to rely on that they're there for your benefit. And that makes for a great deal of uh, benefit. But, but you're right, you know, if you had a, just a room full of people who all said, uh, you know, I hurt and, and no one's listening, I hurt and no one's listening, yeah, that in itself is not usually going to be helpful beyond a certain point. Right, yeah. So now we're going to end with some fun stuff because talking about pain is kind of heavy. <laughs> so first question for you. If you are feeling like you need a little pick-me-up, what is your go-to activity? What's something that you like to do 
to improve your mood. Well, you mean beyond uh, drinking drugs and stamp collecting? Correct, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, beyond that. Uh, (laughs) That usually happen all at the same time, right? (laughs) Very. Well, actually, and and, uh, I, I have to be entirely honest here, exercise helps. When you exercise, you are the person that determines what form that takes, how much you can do, how hard you can do, what new things. And particularly the new things, and if if you and how regularly this happens, and so forth. These all feed back into that sense of control, and that's reaffirming to the to the self. And what makes it uh, even better is that if you are someone who is in a position where this can occur on a regular basis, and you have uh, some idea either from your own studies or someone assisting you as to where you're going to want to go with this you can see gains, which is the equivalent of growth. Mm-hmm. And growth is very satisfying to a person in terms of sense of control. So that is, uh, I think, one of my major go-tos. And you're not just saying that because I'm sitting here with you. Well, 90%. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay, good. <laughs> okay, now tell me, if someone said, tell me your greatest life lesson, which I know is a really tough question, what would you come up with? What would you say? Like, give me a piece of life advice. I would say things that are pretty uh, pretty much cliches or, or standard for me have been the thing. That is, uh, you know, deal with others as you would wish to be dealt with. Be comfortable in sharing, like some of the things we were saying earlier about uh, finding a sharing partner. Find a way to appreciate the things that you have and the things you've managed to acquire that have been, that give pleasure find a way to appreciate those in not only the surface sense but in a deeper sense try as best you can to consider the negative things that happen as to be uh, some form or another of life lessons Uh, I do think the sense of uh, bell-shaped curves and balance uh, moderation those tried-and-true cubics that we that we hear have heard since we've all been little ones Uh, in my experience uh, great many of those really are accurate and do provide a benefit. It's just that to get to that point, you have to have, you have to live them. Yeah. And that's not always so easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about you're an aspiring author. Is this correct? Uh, yes. I, I well, have I, you have this. published and I'm and hoping works. to aspire to publish more, yes. Okay. Do you want to share with us what we can look forward to next year? Okay. Well, uh, <coughs> since you asked so nicely. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. Well, I, I have, I'm in the process of publishing a series of epic fantasy, which is translates as sword and sorcery uh, books. With any luck, uh, they should be on the uh, shelves sometime in the coming year. You spoke of things that are sort of go-to for pleasure. That's one of them, writing writing for me. It's produced a great deal of uh, pleasure in being able to create worlds and create people, uh, see where they take you uh, on the page. has always been extremely challenging, but extremely rewarding. A lot of fun. A lot for me. A yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so when that first book is on the shelf, you're going to let me know so that I can let everyone on here know what it's called, when it's out, where they can go get it? If, if you force me. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure, and, and thank you so much for the invitation, Cassie. You're welcome. Mm-hmm.
Oh my gosh, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you've learned something today about your body. And I know you're thinking of someone right now that would love to listen to this too. So go ahead and send it to them. Until next time, make sure to drink plenty of water, move your body, and smile often.